Welcome to season three of the Wisconsin Music Podcast, amplifying Wisconsin musicians. I am your host, Zach Fell, here to help bring and elevate the great musicians, businesses, and organizations in the music field here in Wisconsin. I'm doing the intro today just because it is the beginning of season three, and I just wanted to change it up a little bit um, for the intro. Um, Dean will be back next week with his typical, but maybe edited, intro for the podcast. Just thinking that just like most albums bands record, the sophomore album is one of the hardest to do. For me, that's season two. Try to make it better than the first, but sometimes you overthink it and feel you're trying way too hard. Although I love talking with all my guests in the second season, the other stuff in life made it difficult to accomplish what I wanted to do. But that's okay, because here we are with season three. I thought of a new tagline, Amplifying Wisconsin Musicians. I feel that is what I want this podcast to be about, to bring you the great musicians and businesses and organizations that are a part of the great music scene here in Wisconsin and try to amplify them more. We have amazing people in Wisconsin that are part of the Wisconsin scene, and I love bringing them to you in every episode. You can go back and listen to the great services that we have here in Wisconsin, from Dory at Radio Milwaukee at 88.9 to Emily White with her great book called How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams that she also talks about in her podcast under the same name. And of course, Allison M over at Wisconsin Music Ventures doing an amazing job with all the great talent that she gets to work with every day. The great bands that I have talked with over these last 24 months have been just an amazing experience for me, and I hope that you out there have enjoyed at least a few of the shows so far. This season, I'm starting out with Danny Layton uh, of the band DRL. Danny is originally from the UK and is now residing in Madison. We talk about the lack of guitar rock lately, recording, gigs that have had a major influence on him, and much more. You also get to hear three of his latest tracks throughout the podcast. So let's get right into talking with Danny. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week we have Danny Linkton from the band DRL. Thanks for coming on the show. Let's talk about your music origin story. How did everything get started for you in music? Yeah, um, I I started out growing up with a musician as a a father in London, East, East London. And he was a guitarist and a and a, um, and a member of a band, and then he went solo. And he used to teach, so there'd be a lot of people coming over to the house constantly. Um, and so I was exposed to that quite early on. Never really took it up until um, a, kind of a good few years later, actually, after I moved out. I moved to, uh, where was it? Munich, Germany. And I met a guy there who was from the from the UK who introduced me to reintroduced me to guitar and he put it in a kind of a, a different spin on it and he just said that you know i, I don't theory's great but um I, I think that theory sounds like it's been almost like an obstacle for you so he just kind of did the tablature you know of uh he said what's your favorite song and i was heavily into oasis and i said live forever and he just gave me the tablature of live forever and i went away he lent me a guitar and i just kind of messed around with that and that was what got me hooked really initially in the twenties uh, was, 
was that the ability to then play and sing with an acoustic guitar, complete independence, not have to rely on any other instruments or bandmates or anything else. And that was the start of it, really. Excellent. Yeah. Does Does anybody in your family play music? My brother was a very successful drum and bass producer and DJ. Moving Fusion was his band name, and he was on the Ram Records label, which I, I think is the largest one in the UK. Um, and, and then my dad, you know, my dad was a, a, a solo artist, guitarist, singer. Um, so, yeah. You said was. Is he no longer a bass and drum producer? He is, but he had to kind of get serious about his life. <laughs> he was doing it. He was doing it at 16 and he made a good living and, and a really good career for himself for a good 15 years, really, from 16, um, traveled all over the world headlining shows all over the world, uh, played in front of thousands and thousands. But you get to a point, and he, this is the way he describes it, not me, because I know very, very little about the drum and bass or the, or the EDM music, you know, scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said he got to like around that late 20s, 30 year period, and the kids were coming through just like he did at 16, much more adept at the, at the latest technologies, you know, much swifter and efficient, sound producing and uh, you know it's all digital of course so much better door operation and understanding and and uh, you know just kind of he's sort of phased out he's still doing stuff but he's he's not making a living at it anymore okay but he's gotcha. one of those few man he, no one will ever take that away from him that he made a living a, a proper living in the industry you know for, for a good 15 years so excellent I was very proud of him. Yeah, he's three and a half years, or I am very proud of him. He's three and a half years younger than me, and he's still over there in London. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, I do podcast editing for this. Um, for this gent over across the pond, it called um, Inside the Mix, and he does like interviews with EDM um, producers and creators and stuff like that. So, all right, cool. yeah, yeah. He would know. I'm sure be be very familiar with my brother. Probably. Yeah. So. I mean, I have a list of questions here, but I kind of want to make this as natural conversation as possible. So why don't we kind of talk about your early start in music and kind of give us an idea of where you, you know, how you got into the the British rock uh, scene and um, the Seattle scene kind of mixed together. Because I was reading your your website and kind of sounded like you, what it says you're into the the first 50, you know, decades of the British rock and then how Oasis got. Uh, very influential for your playing. So why don't we kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm fascinated really in, in, in so many topics and, and my fascination is always, I've always been the kind of person who gets fascinated about a topic and then dives deep and I go all into to something and music's no different. And so, um, you know, I'd reached like the mid thirties and I'd never read, never written a song and m- my wife totally bamboozled me into playing this gig um <laughs> that i'd never had any particular interest in playing initially it was like she said hey you guys sound great i was jamming with a buddy and so we said all right we'll do it and then she announced i never even heard of this at the time but then she said there's by the way they don't have an ascap license and we said well what's an ascap license she said i'm not really sure but all i know is that it means you can't play covers and i said honey we've i've we don't have any original songs you know so um for some reason, it's kind of one of those things that you, you look back and 
my wife certainly would be one of the people who would say everything happens for a reason, you know, mm. and it was just, I didn't back out for whatever reason. I said to myself, well, I'd always written a little bit of poetry and um, why, why can't I just put a few chords to some poetry and see where it goes? And, and so that's where the whole songwriting started. And then, and then you start trying to examine what's, you know, I mean, it's like uh, Ed Sheeran, as much as I, I don't like that dude, um, <laughs> Just being honest, man, um, as much as I don't like that dude, I always remember his comment about songwriting. You turn on a faucet and first there's kind of muddy water that comes out. If you leave the faucet on long enough, eventually yeah. that water becomes clear. And I think that's a great analogy because, you know, it's like this good. I've written nearly 700 songs now and there's probably a good 100, 150 that I would be absolutely mortified to ever have to play in front of anyone. Right. Just horrendous, you know. But you start looking at it and, and you look at, some of the stuff that, that yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in guitar bands. My, my interest never went up my brother's. I went out and did the raving stuff at 16, 17, 18, but was never really captured by that type of music. And so the obvious thing, I think, is to really go back to the Beatles. That's where it all starts, especially in the UK growing up there. And then you look at what the Beatles did, and then you start doing more of a uh, uh, some more exploration around the time in the 60s. You, and then you start finding, you know, other bands and other genres, the start of other genres like The Who branching off, uh, The Stones, obviously, and then The Kinks and different. And, you know, it was typically focused on British bands, my interest, just because where I'm from. But I, I heavily got into people like Dylan for his sort of sort sto uh, storytelling and songwriting and, and Cash and and other bands as well in this country. Um, and then I, I think that in the 90s, when I, it just happened to be like the timing was just right. I was around, I'm about almost exactly the same age as Liam Gallagher, you know, the younger brother in Oasis. And so they were making it big in 93, really. They came onto the scene with their first album. And I was 20, 20. Yeah, I was 20 in that year. So it was just at the right time. And they did what no band had done really for a while in the UK at that time. You know, the, the, um, there was a ton of media hype around it. You guys got wind of it over here in terms of the, you know, like a second British invasion or Brit, Brit pop and all, all the different names they throw through around. Yeah. Essentially what it was, was a throwback to like real in your face guitar band type music. And that just spoke to me and that without the, the, the no frills kind of just a four or five piece tops, um, and, and the songs, of course, were just fantastic, very catchy, you know, um, and there's a lot of critics out there about with Noel Gallagher's songwriting and some of the songs, and you'd be an idiot not to, or, or to try to, um, deny that some of the copying that he did, you know, I mean, some of the copying that he did was just incredible, um, blatant, incredibly blatant. Um, but the songs were just, there was, he wrote so many catchy songs and in the uk that's all you heard man in the in the 90s that was all you heard right there were other bands like the blurs were out there but um that really that was what really formed me and even through them then you sort of rediscovered in the beatles you realize how bands like that are so uh influenced by the beatles and um and then i found it fascinating as i learned more in the late 90s in the 2000s i found it fascinating the interplay between seattle and and the bands like Oasis in the UK, because, you know, one of the things that Oasis w w was trying to do, uh, at least the, what they said they were trying to do, is put some sort of um, lighter 
kind of touch back to music. The Seattle scene was so down, was so morbid and depressing. And, um, you know, they, they tried to talk to the same people, like the common working man or the working class uh, as, as a as a group, but they did try to do it in a more of a positive way. And so that then fascinated me that, that sort of interplay between those two guys or scenes and movements, if you call them that. Um, and I've, I've, I've honestly listened to and got more into people like Chris Cornell and, uh, Alice in Chains and, and, and other Seattle bands more in, like in recent years as well. Mm. You know, that stuff just doesn't age in my mind. It's still, better than anything there is out there today. And um, I always think of, you know, I just, I think we've all, if you're in music and you think the way I do, I think you've, everyone's got to try and do their bit to try and get back to some semblance of decent guitar band music. You know, I think for the most part, it's really, it's, it's gone. It's not gone, but it, but it's diminished and there's a number of reasons for it, but that's, that's really, that's my, influence and, and, and how i feel about music the, the, the band bands me that have uh, influenced my writing at least
stands in our way We know what is waiting for us No matter what you say What made you move out here to the States? That was my wife. Um, I was living in Germany and I was, I am, was, and still am in the fitness industry. Um, that's what pays the bills. And um, we, I came over to the States to Orlando for a trade show. And she was there for one company. I was there for another. She was living in Milwaukee, right, right around the corner from where you are. Okay. She's from Stevens Point, Wisconsin originally. So she was living in Milwaukee. And I was just kind of getting to the end of my uh, time in Germany. I, I was ready for a change anyway. I was going to go back to the UK, met Becky and decided to, well, I'll come over here for a, for a, you know, for a few, few weeks and literally never left. That was uh, April of, yeah, it's 20 years this month. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And so what can you tell us? Growing up in uh, the UK, I mean, I don't know if you can really talk about this, but for me, we're about the same age. We're, you're about like a year and a half older than I am, right around there. And um, when I was growing up, I was listening to, you know, like the stuff my dad was into in the 70s, which is like, and, the, you know, the Beatles and Jeff yeah. Rotal and yep. Steve Winwood and all those kind of guys. So 
in our generation, what was like the Beatles like in the UK and bands like that? I mean, was were they still huge back then? Or were they more like, oh, they're they made their you know big splash in the US and we're looking for something else to listen to? When you mean when I was growing up, when I was a kid, basically, yeah. like on the back end of the beat was breaking up. Uh, I was yeah, so I wasn't born obviously when they broke up, but right. I was born in the end of '73, and you know, that, I mean, they. You, it's kind of hard to. I mean, Beatles were a phenomenon, obviously, all yeah. over the world. But you can imagine, like, if they were a phenomenon everywhere else in the world, you can only imagine what that was like in the UK. And I say the same thing about Oasis. It was a. It was bigger than music. It was bigger than. They became royalty, and and that's never really that's never really waned. I mean, you know, the Beatles would, would I'm sure anyone would name Beatles number one uh, as bands of all time, most influential, best songs. You can and you could just name 15, 20 different categories, and and people yeah. of five generations in the UK would say the same same thing. You know, so it was very. Uh, pervasive it was it was totally still you know everyone that came out after that whether it was led zeppelin or i mean literally whoever it whoever it was whatever band was in some way following in their footsteps you know and we all knew that in the uk whoever it, you know whatever the band was um i mean queen is as diverse and as mm-hmm. brilliant and as unique as they as they were still massive fans and influenced heavily by the Beatles, you know, Brian May says it to this day and, um, anyone, anyone else as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of, uh, over, overestimate the, the power that they, that that they obviously had worldwide, but in the UK, it was just magnified that, that extra bit further, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I was, cause I've never really spoken to anybody that grew up in the UK and how they proceed to compare to how someone in the you know in the states have grown yeah. up and kind of and see if there was like a different kind of look at it or different. But okay, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so, and I yeah. try and do the same thing. I know what you mean, Zach, because I try and do the same thing on the reverse. I try and figure out what it was like to be an American, and you know, it sounds very similar to the way it was in the UK. I mean, like girls and people were just going nuts, fainting. Um, so. Yeah, so, so I can only imagine that it was very similar, but just the amplified even that much more, you know? Um, yeah, and Oasis is another really interesting one on that note because Oasis was so big, the biggest band in the world for about a year, year and a half period. They sold out Nebworth, 125000 for two nights at Nebworth in 96. Wow. And they put the tickets on sale and got enough interest. They had enough applicants for those tickets to sell out something like two and a half weeks every night of 125,000 in the audience every night. So that gives you about how big they were. Yeah. And so what, what I find interesting in that is like the Beatles, yeah, they were massive here. They were massive there. Oasis really were not big here at all. You know, like people know Champagne Supernova. People know Wonderwall. People know Don't Look Back in Anger. You get a little bit deeper down into the catalog outside of those three and you're starting to lose the majority of Americans, you know? Yeah. And and that was obviously I wasn't around in the sixties for the Beatles, but I would imagine that that was very similarly 
impactful and it was a movement and it captured the entire country you know so that was very very different the very different experience for for uh you know I, I go and see people like i saw liam gallagher in dc in 17 granted that was before his new career really took off now he, now he's absolutely flying again but we i watched him in in the uh, lincoln theater 1200 people you know mm-hmm. like i mean you go to UK, you'd sell out, you know, eighty thousand in a, you know, a festival right, right. or something. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's interesting that, that you know. But you guys have got so much of your own great music as well. So you know, <laughs> I mean, that that's that detracts a lot from that makes it tough for British artists. And I, I tell you, man, you know, that every British artist that there's ever been, whether they want to admit it or not, they still class successes cracking the states you know right, there's no right. doubt about it you know i was well, i saw wolf alice down in madison two weeks ago don't you know you've heard of wolf alice no i don't think so wolf alice is a great band from from london and um you know the same thing they played the majestic down in madison there was like i think it's 400 people or 600 people again they're playing 60 70 000 people you know person festivals in the uk but they're touring they've got 25 dates here in the states they everyone's desperate to to to, you know to crack that u.s audience right right and the thing is is that we have some you know u.s artists that didn't become big until they go to the uk and get bigger there and then they come back and then oh you know you got big in the uk now we have some you know stability or you know infrastructure with them somewhere else so they can build it up here so that's right yeah it's interesting the way it works like that yeah right right um so can we talk a little bit on what your perspective is on um the local scene compared you know the uk local where you live and the local scene where you live now musically we can although i've got to be honest though zach you know don't forget i've not lived there i go back there every year for a month basically in the summer um so I've I've seen a little bit. I, I go back and I travel with my brother every year. Normally we go to we pick a few cities each year and we'll go off. We'll take off for a, for a good two three days. And so we've done Sheffield, Manchester, seen all the the old Oasis places and Liverpool. We saw all the the Beatles kind of memorabilia and and uh, sites. But I'm not you know I'm not totally plugged into the UK scene music scene anymore. I I think that there's you know it's it's London, so you can only compare london to places like la and new york and chicago you can't compare london to madison you can't compare london to milwaukee um you can't compare london to where i lived for 17 years down in the triangle raleigh durham and that area so so you know when i go to london it's much more of a vibrant scene than it is here in madison or it is in milwaukee but it's 10 million people you know and it's like comparing madison to um to new york York. yeah Yeah, and you can't do that you know I, i think that Overall, it, 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 it's, a, it's a really a tricky business these days. You've got venues who do originals and, and venues who do covers, and there's not much crossover. And I've seen that in, in bands that I had down in North Carolina before I moved back up two years ago, and I'm seeing exactly the same thing here in Madison. You're either an original kind of venue where you, you're basically going to play like maybe one cover, but you're essentially going to be playing your own music. Or you've got, you know, and the, th- the the thing is, like, if you're an original guy, you've got access to maybe 10 or 15 original music venues in the Madison right. area. Yeah. If you're a cover guy, 
you've got access to probably 250 bars in right, the Nevada's right. an area, you yeah, know? Right. So the, the pool is a lot smaller on the original side, you know, and I think it just reflects the industry and the music overall at the moment, you know, labels run things and um, the venues, uh, uh, they don't want to book you unless you're going to bring a crowd. There's, I think the way it used to work, from my understanding, is that venues would pull crowds in to see bands, and the venues would pull those crowds. So you'd get you you know you get five hundred people in a venue, all there, ready to see a new band that they may never. People aren't taking those chances anymore, you know. Like you go so to sad. a place, and it really is very sad, you know. But you you have to keep plugging away, and we keep trying to do our bit. But yeah, you go you'll go to a place, and and you'll play to. 15 people you know on a on a wednesday night and and that'll be made up of most of the band's family and friends you know right right uh the venue isn't pulling in the the people as much anymore that the bands pull the people in and uh that wasn't quite the case i don't think in in bygone eras you know 30 years ago but yeah. as i say i think it just reflects the overall music industry man i mean uh, there's a guy on YouTube that I listen to quite a bit, Rick Beato. I don't know yep. if you've heard of that yep. dude. Yeah. I mean, he, he goes through it very analytically, very scientifically, and he applies some really good sort of reason and logical arguments to the whole thing. And um, it, it's, you know, the music now that's in the charts. I mean, I don't want to, you know, sort of bad mouth any, 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 you know, artists, everyone's trying to do their thing. And if it's creative, it's good. But I think you just, at the same time, you got to kind of be honest and say how many songs, uh, you know, I've got a daughter who's 15. How many songs is she going to remember from her, you know, youth when it has, how many of those songs is she still going to be singing when she's 45? Yeah. I just, I don't, I genuinely don't think that it's, that they're going to age very well. Some of the, some of the contemporary music, you know, Whereas yeah. the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Led Zeppelins, the you name them, that they're timeless. And 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 Beato talks about the fact that the younger generations even now are listening to the sixties and seventies and eighties music. Right, right. That's gonna be I think that's their culture now is everything from whatever was recorded to now. They can just yeah. pull from so much because all the streaming and yeah. Basically, music is free now except for right. your subscription or whatever, which is basically nothing these days. That's right. And the artists don't get paid anything, so they got to figure out different ways of getting you know revenue. If that's their main goal. But yeah, I think this generation, or and maybe who knows what future generation will be like. But I think it's gonna be a pulling from a lot of different decades, just to because everybody has different tastes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that might uh, be coming an explosion of all this different type of music fusing together and maybe create a new music genre somewhere down the line who knows i, I there's definitely going to be i think it is going to work that way is that that's the way anything works we evolve and and you know you get stuck all of us get stuck in a in a pretty short uh paradigm in terms of time frames you know um we typically you know don't remember very well like last year let alone 50 years ago and so we get stuck in this. Well, this is the way it's, it is. But you know, in, in 1959, there, there was there was no such thing as 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 any of what we're talking about. You know, it just right. wasn't. There was a there was no such thing really as 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 rock and roll in its existing sense. Of course, the roots came from this country and from from the south and um, the blues and and of course they were the roots. But 
it just evolves and t- takes different forms. And, that, and that's going to, that never fit. That never stops. Does it? No, does not. The, the Spotify and the streaming stuff is, is such a double-edged sword as well. Cause if I look at what we've done, we just got three up on Spotify and Apple. We've got my first three ever. We just finished them about a month or two months ago. Yeah. I was and, listening to them. Yeah. And you know, uh, and Dave, who's our lead guitarist is our producer. He's a, a um, Madison lifelong Madison resident. And, he he finally got them done for me and produced them for me and they sound great. The produced production is fantastic, but you know you anyone basically can get a mute, get a song up now on Spotify and Apple, which right. definitely is a great thing. But then, whereas like thirty years ago there was an A and R guy going out and, and vetting these songs, now it's so to get my music listened to among probably you know a billion songs is it's it's not that easy you know so it's it's good that you can get up there there's low barrier to entry but it's bad that there's just no there's no filter it's tough to find new, new acts you know right right it's and everything's based on an algorithm now and if you like yes. this person this is what the ai thinks you're also going to like could be completely not in your wheelhouse but you never yep. know yep that's right and speaking of the three songs, um, why don't we kind of talk a little bit about that? Um, how did that go from beginning to end? Well, we I moved up in middle of 2020, 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic, and um, got assembled, got the band together, got a drummer and, and Dave and Ryan, the, our bass player. And so we started out kicking some songs around, some old stuff that I'd been playing for a bit, some of the, the, the songs that had been more popular and you know i write a a ton i'm writing um certainly weekly if not daily sometimes so there was new stuff that i brought in and these i i i'm big on the the fact that it's a band and i I don't i i I try and make as few decisions as possible you know i like i like i totally like the idea of a band that the idea of being in it together as a team and so i said to the guys what three should we do? And the parameters really, well, we need to get some demo tracks up. And so we ended up with gravity, which we were rehearsing at the time and uh, this love and then paradise club, just because that they were the three that we'd progressed further and they were relatively easy to to learn. And it was just kind of, it was fitting um, with the new band lineup. And so that's really the genesis of getting them recorded. And then we just tracked in this room here, and then Dave took all of the stems, you know, uh, we bounced the stems down and he he then produced him at his home studio. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very, very pleased with the fact that, that we've got some produced material of quality up, but um, I'm also very eager to get some songs that I like better up, you know, right, they, right. Just, they just happened to be the, the three songs that we, you know, that were gelling at that time, you know? Yep, I hear you. I hear you. I was yeah. Um, I just got done uh, mixing a a four song EP with a band that I was producing last summer. Their first song off that four EP just got released last Friday, and it just nice. Yeah, and it just you know it just takes time, and you have to make sure everything sounds exactly how you want it to sound before you drive yourself nuts. But basically, Yeah. yeah. Well, Dave did drive himself nuts. He's he's a perfection. (laughs) He's a total perfectionist. Yeah, and um. Yeah, and I, I think probably most producers are, I, I would imagine, you know, um, I can relate to it to some degree. Right. And, um, 
yeah, it's it's a we we got to we're going to move on now and get the next next batch done. But it, the thing is, there's such a backlog of work. Now I'm in. I've got the the sort of dilemma, Zach, of wondering, well, what is it I put out next? Yeah, you know, do I go in this direction, in that direction? Uh, do we try and build on those three and kind of make an EP out of that type of vibe? You know, because not to get into concepts and stuff, but they have to be somewhat. You know, there's got to be some sort of consistent message if you're going to put an EP out. Yeah, right, um, right. So we've got to work that out now, and I've I've sort of got to go through, you know, like I mean, 500 you had, songs or so. Yeah, I was just say, you know, you have bands out there that write 30 songs for an album and only put out between eight and ten of them. Yeah, because they have to just figure out which one go well together on that recording. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, there's probably a lot of the bands that do that are. They go in with it. I mean, I'd much rather that in a way, really, just go in with that, per, you know, that sort of express purpose. Okay, we're going to make an album. We need, uh, I would totally agree that you need probably at least 20 because you always know that stuff doesn't work out either from a producing standpoint or from a band playing it. Someone doesn't like it. Someone can't do this, can't do that. So you need a good pull from which to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd almost rather that situation than the situation I'm in now because with, with 500 songs, I don't know where I got no clue where to start. Do I do an acoustic again? Do I go on top of what's already been done? Those three and build on that or go in another total different direction. You know, I write pretty varying genres as well. My influence has, has been fairly diverse with, with Paul Weller, as I said to you, he's like comes from five different genres and I listen to a ton of his music. So through him filters five different genres of music. So there's a lot of, Bowie sort of Floydy sounding stuff and then yeah. more Beatles. So I, I I honestly I haven't got a clue what I'm gonna do, but um Well, like yeah, you said, your problems in the world. Yeah, you like you know, like you were saying earlier, you like the band concept, so then you have to also talk to the other three people in the band and see, you know, what direction do they want to totally. go and yeah, you know. And if you have five hundred songs, it's just like where do you start? It sounds like almost too many options. That, well, that's exactly how I feel, Zach. Yeah, there and and the options just keep getting more and more every week, you know. And I'm one of those type of you know like squirrel because if I <laughs> if I write one, I wrote one last week, and I thought, oh my god, we got to get this in the band immediately. And then you you can't keep doing that to the guys either. Keep bringing new stuff right. in every week. All right, let's dump those ones that we just learned, and now let's learn this new five. You know, it's. Yeah, I've got to start selling them off. That's, that's, I think that's that's one thing that I need to. Number of people have said that to me, and I, and I realize or I believe that you've got to even produce them to a decent enough quality, even to sell them. I think from what I've heard, which yeah. then that becomes another barrier to entry. But ultimately, I think I could see myself. I've got so much of it, just start giving them away to people. You know what I mean? And did COVID do any like influential things for your writing, or did it? hinder you or kind of how did that work out for your musical life um i would say overall it hindered it i would say uh, and that, that's different from what i've heard a lot of professional musicians mm-hmm. talk about uh, you know i think that they were able to be isolated and, and start really getting into some material i do that anyway but what drives me, again it's about people i i'm i've i've been my entire life, you ask my mum and dad, in the they will they will be my witness. I am useless on my own. I need to be around people 
ideally like all day and all night, you know? So in that isolation, that just really no, no bandmates, no practicing, no rehearsing, no kind of idea as to what I was even writing for. You know, I, I can, I'll pit, I'll picture and I'll, I'll sort of write something from my imagination based on a, a, a venue or, or a, you know, a, a sound of a band who the latest, whoever it is, drummer or lead guitarist is. And I'll try and write things that suit the, the band. And without a band, without the rehearsing, without all of that banter and the dynamics, that all went away. So, yeah, it just I probably won't use much of that stuff that I did write during that period because it was always just kind of sitting around, moping around on an acoustic, writing about how shit things are, you know? <laughs> no one wants to listen to that. Right, right, right. With COVID, hopefully we don't get another big flare-up it's over. It's over, yeah. Zach. We got positive, so. thi- positive thinking. It's yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what venues are you looking forward to to playing? Well, um, a number of them. You know, we, we, we're trying to spread our wings here in in uh, Madison, and we've got some good, um, you know, t- original music venues lined up. We've played a few here. We played the Borough. We we played a couple of times out in um, the Grumpy Grumpy Troll out in Mount Horeb. We do a little acoustic set out there. We're playing some local stuff, uh, smaller stuff, acoustic sets. Um, but really what I, I look forward to getting into is doing some of the, the 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 more slightly larger venues where it's back to the full um, electric setup. You know, I love doing the acoustic. I really do, and I always want to do the acoustic. But, um, yeah, getting, getting in the Majestic last week, it, we're not big enough for the Majestic, you know, but opening for a band in the majestic, you know, like uh, we could have opened for Wolf Alice easily because the genres would have been de- close enough mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to appeal to Wolf Alice fans. And no, I, I look forward to that kind of stuff. I, I'd love to be able to do that. And I think that's one of the, the best ways if you can try and get into to open for a bigger band, that's probably the best way to do it. Look forward to getting over more as well. I haven't really digged in, but I know they've got a, a bigger um, and probably slightly more vibrant scene over there in especially in rock than we have here in Madison, if nothing else for the size of the city, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just any, honestly, anywhere and, and, and everywhere really, Zach, just as long as it's, you know, you always make the, the, the caveat it's original music. Cause some people say, Oh yeah, we'll have you in, you know, we'll book you. But if it's not an original venue, then you've got to make sure that they know what they're getting, you know, cause right. it's, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are just not interested in hearing original music anymore, you know? That's sad because, you know, even national acts, they've they were, you know, local scene at one time. They were a local band. That's right. That's right, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it's I mean, look at the the biggest bands out there. Look at the bands who are the ones who are selling out decent sized venues. You know, I had this argument the other day with someone and I, I you know, there really aren't very many at all that up like post 2000 basically every band of any size most most bands i should say are you know at least 15 20 years old you know yeah foo fighters is a prime example of it you know been around for like what 25 years now yeah probably the biggest band in the world you know they go and still sell out any anywhere any size venue uh but you that's great that they've got that success it's fantastic but you want the younger bands coming through to have that as well. You want other people to get a chance, you know? Yeah, I hear you. And I, I'm hoping that 
um, this upcoming generation, we're going to start seeing that again. I'm hoping. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I think that with guitar, rock and roll, guitar band, rock and roll music, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, not as optimistic because it's just seems like it goes down like that. The overall trajectory is like that. And there may be little blips, you know, like the nineties, it went like that. Yeah. The, the Seattle scene and then Oasis and the Brit, Brit pop. But then, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. Mate, mate, I hope, I, I really do hope to God I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. I really do. I mean, there's right. good bands out there, man. There's good bands out there doing basic stuff on guitars. Um, they just got to get, um, exposure they just got to yeah. be heard you know yeah. they they got to play shows and and uh somehow get their names out there you know to, to take over knock some of these kind of foo fighter bands off the off the top you know
I know you've been talking about performers and artists that you've, you know, have made an impression on you, but what are some gigs that you have performed at or attended that had made a big impression on you? Or you can talk about both situations. Well, I can tell you one that made a big, but two that made a big impression. Uh, uh, my dad hauled me up to the Royal Albert Hall. You probably heard of that venue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the world's most prestigious venues. And he hauled me up there as a kid. I was probably 12, 13. Don't know. I wasn't very old. But I remember watching the Everly Brothers there. And I remember watching Don McLean there. They were two, because they were like the first live, proper live music, you know, gigs I'd ever been to. So they made an impact. Um Oasis, I saw Oasis in 2005 in Dallas, Texas. I'd been following them at that point for 12 years. So to see them live, finally, that made an impact. Seeing Paul Weller live made a massive impact in DC about five years ago. Um, yeah, and <laughs> unfortunately, there's there's not many gigs that have, that have, uh, have really of my own that have made a real positive impact. You know, we, we've, we've done some, some decent ish gigs, but um, I find myself just kind of always somewhat disappointed with just the numbers, the turnout, you know, and always berating myself for all of those kind of things. And, and, and being also a perfectionist, like I didn't sing that well enough. I didn't play that well enough, but you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. So um I hope that changes. I hope I'm really able to sort of start enjoying gigs that I do myself more. You know, we've done, like I said, we've done some good ones, but uh, they've not been as anywhere near as impactful as seeing some of the guys that, uh, some of the pros that I've seen. Um, saw REM as well in, uh, that was another big one. I took my dad to that one in Raleigh and, and he was kind of a naysayer. He was on the fence. He said, oh, I don't really like these guys. Yeah. He was absolutely blown away when by the time we came out of that that place he was a total raving michael stipes fan you know <laughs> yeah i i have not had i did not get a chance to see them live are they is their live performance different than their recorded albums um i, I would say personally I, i've only got an experience of one zach i would say that they He's the kind of guy that excels live. He's even better live than he is, than he is on the record, you know? Um, awesome. Some bands don't quite pull that off, but he, in my opinion, he was one of those who did. Yeah, he was so, so much energy and sounded great. And um, yeah, the whole whole thing was great. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, one of the things I like to ask is, um, as a working musician, um, as that, you know, part of your life, how does work-life balance work for you? Is it easy for you to balance between, you know, personal work life and musician life, or is it kind of a struggle? I'm very fortunate, is that because I'm in sales and I'm so I'm based at home. You know, when I'm on the road, I go and do business for a week wherever, you know, somewhere in the country or overseas, and uh, obviously that then it comes to a complete standstill. But outside of that, 
I'm based from home, so um, it's it, it's it's really not a bad it's not a bad uh, mix to get. You know, I mean, we practice on Thursday nights normally. We start about six six fifteen. We got a second practice this week ahead of a couple of gigs we got coming up here um, in Wanakee here in the next. Well, Grumpy, Grumpy Troll May seventh, and then we play another tiny little um, wine bar here on May fourteenth. So we got a couple of practices. Um, and that's so yeah it really they really don't conflict at, at all i can i write a song um typically i'll write a start a song very quickly in my lunch hour you know and i'll get a start a song on un, well underway within 30 minutes and i might go back over the next few days and kind of finish it off writing it or in the evening same thing i might pick up the guitar and start writing but no it's it's uh um, but then I'm, I'm fortunate to be in, in the kind of job that I am and not, you know, doing, having to do 14 hours, you know, like some of the, you know, I'm, and I've, obviously I'm a bit older now, you know, so I've worked my whole life to get to this point. Some of the kids out there who are trying to balance, you know, factory work or whatever, and they're trying to do 14 hours a day or 12 hours a day and then do band life as well. That's, you know, that's, that's got to be a real struggle. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Cool. that's good that you, you're able to do that. And obviously your, your, um, your wife is really supportive of what you're doing as well, which is always. She is. And that is so, I mean, are you married yourself, Zach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that goes for anything, doesn't it? It's not just music. It's like anything you do, you, you have to have a supportive wife. And I've had some bandmates who haven't had that and and it's kind of brutal, you know, mm-hmm. it really is. And, and it, it really, it means ultimately in, in a number of, instances it means it really can't go any further you know that there's right. a uh, if they don't have that support in their in their home life you know because it because it does take does take time away from the wife and kids you know you, you're doing gigs and um you know messing around with equip, equipment and rehearsing and all, all of that stuff so mm-hmm. yeah it's very very important and I'm, I'm i'm i don't take that for granted either i really don't same here same here yeah and the last question I have for you, um, actually I have two, but the one that I, that I asked at last is, besides what you've talked about already, artist-wise, who's on your playlist right now that's that you're listening to? Well, um, I am very guilty of going back to playing, you know, what, uh, I mean, there's still Beatles songs that I haven't heard, you know, um, yeah. and, and, and there's many more you know, Led Zeppelin and who and Rolling Stone songs if, that I haven't heard also. So I'm, I'm guilty of that, of going back to the well and, and listening to um, old stuff. But, you know, Wolf Alice is something that my old bass player turned me on to them. Listen to uh, some of their, some of their songs are absolutely beautiful. A couple of the ones that they've done recently. Um, excellent melodies. She's got a fantastic voice. So they're definitely on the radar. A couple of songs, my, a, a buddy of mine introduced me to by the vagabonds um have you heard of those those guys yeah yeah Yeah, i always think they're big and then i've asked a few people and they they said they haven't heard of them but uh yeah they make some some great songs um there's a a, i like a collaboration that that the uh the, the lead singer of the arctic monkeys uh alex turner does with another solo act miles kane in the uk they 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 team up and they do a project every once in a while called the last shadow puppets and and there's okay. that's that they've made some good interesting 
new new kind of sounding. You know, put a bit of a spin on on it, and, and they're not doing the same old stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a few out, you know, a few out there, a few new bands out there that that I'm enjoying listening to. Cool. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wanted to talk about? No, I don't think so. It feels like I've done a lot of talking, Zach. I'm, <laughs> for my for my for my job, I do a lot of asking questions and listening, and uh, yeah, tables I don't, have I don't, turned. Yeah, the tables have turned. I, I always, yeah, I don't particularly like doing the talking. So it's uh, on a podcast. Is you know, on a podcast that's about me, I can't really get out of it much. So I, I got put up with it. But no, I, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm all I'm all good on it. You've asked me a ton of questions. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you could be on. Um, where can people? Um, obviously, I'll put these in the show notes, but why don't you kind of let people know where they can uh, go and find your music? Yeah, we have a website and we are on all social media platforms. Um, the the band name is obviously DRL Band, Delta Romeo Lima Band, and we're based in Madison. We'll, we'll travel um, in the vicinity to do gigs and festivals. We'd love to play your venue or your party or whatever it is and um all you got to do is connect with us on social media great well thank yeah. you so much for coming on the wisconsin music podcast it was such a pleasure it was a great conversation and i definitely want to you know catch up with you later on and see what you guys have been up to and things like that absolutely zach i really appreciate the time and uh, giving us the chance to come on yeah thanks man thank you
started thank you so much for listening if you want to continue to help amplify the great musicians in wisconsin please go out and see live local music tell ours how much you enjoyed their music in the show you can also help spread the word about the podcast so i can continue to bring you great local talent almost every week please subscribe leave a review and until next time support local musicians <laughs>